Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Uh, 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 uh. Competition starting to get thick, it's the click, so I hope you watch your A-game. A-main, no rains on the track when we unite and spit. This isn't A-game, better bring your A-game. Competition starting to get thick, it's the click, so I hope you watch your A-game. A-main, no rains on the track when Hey now, it's the Mike and JD Show, and I am your host, Mike Gilbert, and I'm typically joined by JD by God Oliva, and you will hear his voice on this episode. Uh, however, we are doing a very special episode because um, JD and myself, we are just swamped and overbooked for the holidays with um, with work and travel and school and everything that we got going on, and I actually am going to be, uh, hopefully here in the next couple of hours, I will be flying out to California, God willing, if our, if our plane takes off. Uh, we've had some uh, issues with that. But, um, yeah, hopefully it takes off, and uh, I will be in California. And um, I have family just all over that area, and it's, it's the worst thing ever. Uh, and I love family. But, you know, when you fly across an ocean to go see everybody, they still want you to come to all their individual houses. And so that's what I'm going to be up to. So I don't know when I would be getting away. And I also am not going to be bringing my computer and my microphone and my whole setup because of the um, instability that we're going to have when we're out there because we're going to be in so many different places. So um, I'm just going to what I'm just recording this right now. And what we're going to do is, is I am going to drop a double shot of our Patreon right here on the Voices of Wrestling Radio Network for free. Um, JD and I, uh, when we started the Mike and JD show back in April, we started a new podcast for the old fight game media Patreon um, called Mike and JD show extra. And what we would do is we would just do like historical deep dives. We would take specific events storylines angles um events what well, you know whatever and we would just go kind of down a rabbit hole for about 45 minutes to an hour and a lot of it was just based off of the articles that jd was writing because where jd really is at his best is as a writer and he is a tremendous writer of history he loves writing about history pieces about pro wrestling so um the first one we did uh was called the mystery of the black scorpion based off of an article that JD had written. And so you're going to uh, get a chance to listen to that. I think it's really relevant right now because the top storyline in uh, AEW is the devil storyline. And there are a lot of parallels between the black scorpion and the devil storyline. Uh, just as there's a lot of parallels between the devil and aces and eights from TNA, which we dropped, uh, we dropped a couple weeks ago. I did an aces and eights retrospective. And if you take a look at that storyline, there's a lot of similarities there. So if aces and eights and the, and the Black Scorpion had a baby. That would be the devil storyline. I just hope that the devil plays a lot better on television or the payoff is a lot better than what we got with Aces and Eights and uh, the Black Scorpion. But so, yeah, that's going to be the first one. And then the second one was we recorded over the summer when we had transitioned over to our own podcasting network. When we started the Mike and JD show Patreon, um, we 
um, dropped this one. Now, both episodes are already have already been on the Patreon since um, for for months and months and months. I think the uh, the second one we we did over the summer. It was uh, about Bill Watts taking over WCW in 1992. And this is when we transitioned to our overtime series. So, um, on the Bill Watts 1992, that was in response to somebody's terrible article where they had stated that 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 AEW should go back in time and hire guys from 30 years ago to uh, to book their television show, and they had. Uh, name dropped guys like Dutch Mantel and Jim Cornette and all these other people. Eric, I think Eric Bischoff was the name. And um, JD uh, did an article about the the time that uh, WCW got desperate and decided to to go back in time and hire an old booker from a wrestling territory named Bill Watts, who was a big time booker in the South. Uh, and it was very successful in his territory. And then of course that territory went out of business. So, and then he sold the Crockett and naturally WCW decided to hire him five years after he had been out of wrestling. So um, we, we talk about the disaster that the disaster that was Bill Watts in 1992 in wcw so uh take a listen and if you like this content there's tons more over on our patreon head over to patreon.com slash the mike and jd show and thank you for listening to the show this week and jd and i will be back uh, most likely in the new year with some fresh new content um it depends on my travel schedule but i don't think that we're going to be taking too much time away we really are committed to this network and committed to the podcast i will be dropping some uh brief uh audio here and there on the Patreon, just using my cell phone, not really podcast material, but you know, as news breaks, I like to just pull out my phone and do a voice memo, record directly directly to my phone, and update it, up, upload it right to Patreon. So if uh, you guys are interested in that, just be on the lookout for that. We're still going to be updating the YouTube for a while, but um, but this week we are just going to give you guys some pretty cool classic content uh, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Radio Network. And until next time, mahalo. <laughs> Hey now, it's the Mike and JD show, and I'm your host, Mike Gilbert, and I'm joined as always by JD by God I'll leave it. How you doing, JD? Episode two. Episode two of our, our Patreon uh deep dives that we're doing. Um talking uh doing a lot of historical stuff, man. Our last one was was a ton of fun. We looked at the history between Kenny Omega and Don Callis using JD's uh one of JD's old school articles as a source material. We got a lot of good feedback on it, and we've been excited to do this one for for a while, man. Black Scorpion. This was the one we wanted to start with, and then we decided to change course because of the Don Callis heel turn, right? Yeah. Just kinda, he made that vibe. He made that viable again, and we're like, oh, we'll just talk about this, and we'll kick the scorpion to the curb for a little bit because the Black Scorpion, God, it's a 33-year-old storyline, mm-hmm. but I think it's like the ultimate of what could have been in WCW. And the reason – there's a reason I like talking about the scorpion because, like, if you follow WWE right now, the big controversy from the summer – or from the spring, I should say, was Cody Rhodes should have been the champion by now, right? He should have beaten Roman yeah. Reigns. It was set up for that. And then Paul Heyman, of all people, came out and said, if Cody wins, the story is over. And a lot of people push back against that narrative. And to them, I say, when you have a hero, right – the hero journey is like the template of most modern Western storytelling. The hero has, has a goal. Something stands in front of him. He has to overcome that. Whatever thing could be, it could be force of nature. It could be a villain. It could be himself. It could be anything. Something is staying in front of the hero, and the hero has to conquer this mountain. And when the hero conquers the mountain, that is typically the end of a story, right? So oftentimes... In pro wrestling, the story of the good guy is trying to get to the moment, right? And then oftentimes oftentimes in wrestling history, when the hero gets there, 
what happens then? Mm-hmm. Right? Because like when you think about it, what was the grand story of Hulk Hogan winning the WWF World Championship the first time? That was that was a little bit of a different thing because he had just gotten there and Iron yeah. Sheik had just won the title, but it was like defeating the Iranian villain. But right. was it built? Was it built up? No, it was Hulk. Hogan, it was literally the week before Hulk Hogan is going to take Bob Backlund's place. Yeah, it was not about the journey. Mm-hmm. The story started when Hogan won the title, right? Bret Hart does not have like you can look at it as a career retrospective to get to that moment. Like you can look at it from the ten years it took, but in reality, in the story, he just beat Ric Flair. Yeah, and then randomly. the story started. Random, super randomly. Yeah, the player was hurt. In, there's in, there's in what? what? What was it? Saskatoon in like nineteen ninety two. Saskatoon like, ninety two. Yeah, weird. Yeah. yeah. God, man, my I can't remember stuff from yesterday, but I can remember Saskatoon. Saskatoon. Yes, I will. I don't know where Saskatoon is. I'm sure like Paul or some or Preet could point it out on a map. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you where Saskatoon yeah. is. I'm from America, but I mean, like, I will always know of Saskatoon because that's where Bret Hart won the title. <laughs> Right. I mean, like very rarely does in wrestling specifically, does the hero story finish, like continue, like, right? Because that's a different story, right? The holding of the title. And this is like, especially in WCW, which was a heel based territory, right? The heel was a champion. Flair had always been the champ and they wanted to put the belt on Sting. If you don't know the story, Flair and Sting uh, have have our, our teammates, right? In 89. And then, um, throughout the end of the year and then the end of the year sting joins the horseman flares babyface at this time and then they tell sting who had won the future shock stark 89 tournament to determine the number one contender and Ole anderson who's also now the booker at this time tells sting he has to give it up sting says no i want a shot at flair i i, I want to try to wrestle flair for the belt and they turn on Sting, and the horseman attacks Sting. At the end of the show, they have the Thunder Cage set up. Sting jumps up to climb up the cage, and he, blow, he blows his patella to mm-hmm. So yeah. what was meant to be quick, because he was supposed to beat Flair at the next show, right? Which I think was Wrestle War 90, I think. I forget. Yeah, because he blew his did he blow his knee at Super Brawl or or was he it blew it on Clash? He blew it on the Clash, Clash of the Champions. So yeah. was it was it Super Brawl that he was going to win the title at? I, it's I'm whatever the next the time night. he went from being a random mid Carter to a guy, but I mean it's not like they rocket strapped him. It takes two full years for State to be the guy, right? Hulk Hogan comes back, he has the world title in less than a month. Sting, yeah. when they decide to make him, is two years. Now, again, a lot of that, yeah. too, is because of the injury. But, like, Flair was a man of his word. He put Sting over. The problem, the problem with all this is when Sting wins the title, the worst thing to do is, like, to keep the Flair, the feud with Flair going. Because Flair, even though he's a heel in WCW, like, nobody booed him, ever. Nobody booed yeah. Flair. And it it was hard. They, so they didn't really want to put Flair back in it. At this point, like, the Horseman feud with Doom. Do you remember the Horseman Doom feud in the <laughs> yes, fall of 1990? Yes. Like it's yeah. like super racially tinged. Like there's some mm-hmm. there's some interviews. Well, I mean that's that's Ole Anderson, right? There you go. The old old Georgia territory. Like they they literally hired a literal racist, a literal racist to run the company. And next thing you know, you got racism angles on your TV. That's right. what you get with Ole Anderson. Um, yep. But yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. They didn't really have anything for. Um, 
for for Sting to do after he won the title. I want to get into your Russell Joy arg- your yeah. article real quick, uh, and I want to read table. some of this verbatim. Yeah, so I'll set the table. So Anderson comes in to take over. Everybody's kind of puzzled with this, and and so JD states while Anderson was a hugely successful Booker in the old Georgia territory, and we're talking about a decade prior to this, right? Yes. Georgia was on fire in like 1980 around that time frame. 881. Yeah, it had been six years since he led a promotion. Uh, the angle that defined his tenure atop WCW was the follow-up to the two-year story that led to Sting finally de- dethroning Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight title. It was supposed to be an intriguing mystery meant to help build the company's big babyface attraction. However, during the rise of Sting, a storyline that, that, uh, that itself was chock full of colossal mistakes. The company failed to build up the Stinger's first significant challenger. Instead, WCW struggled to figure out what to do with their top hero after dethroning Flair. It didn't help that the NWA WCW audience wasn't ready to let go of Flair as their top guy. Instead of lining up a series of short-term dragons for Sting to slay while trying to build up a potent threat to challenge Sting for the title at, say, Starcade, WCW went in a different direction. Under Anderson, they created the mysterious Black Scorpion. Oh, I thought you were going to have play on the promo. I, I am hitting play on the promo. It's not playing. From the mysterious yeah. Black Scorpion, the man that this man, the World Heavyweight Champion Sting, has signed to defend his championship against live here on TBS on September 5th. Sting, do you know anything about this man? And if not, how are you preparing to wrestle him? Well, I have no idea, Bob, who this guy is, the Black Scorpion. Sting was no such clue. a bad promo back then. No one's <laughs> saying anything to me. I've seen this little bit right now. I'll tell you, we can I comment over a little this bit stuff. More you ever, you ever see when Sting tries to do the surfer accent? There's a time in 89 where they got Sting talking like Michelangelo. He is an unknown. How do I prepare for something like that? Well, you just have to go for broke. They never protected him. Arthur never. Anderson, they never protected the stars Sting. in the NWA, at least I have an idea on how to prepare for something like that. But this guy here, Bob, the black he just Scorpion, I have ramble. no idea who he is. Yeah. Yeah. But I said on national The TV, names he just listed off were now that I would like, against anybody I don't know. Not worth that. Yeah. yeah. The dudes who were just there that day? They would get an idea mm-hmm. who he is, Sting. And to do that, fans, let's watch this. Yeah, let's watch it. Sting. Are you listening? Uh, of course you are. You're too much of a hero and a champion to refuse to hear this tape. Sting, I'm going to destroy you. A long time has passed since you last saw me. Listen. Oh yes, you know me, or at least you do. Oh yes. But don't try to track me down, it won't help. Even if you saw my face in light, you wouldn't recognize me. My face doesn't look the same. Curious. I imagine you are. Of course you are. I want you to be thinking, be concerned, maybe even a little scared. I'm concerned. There's nothing least scary than a guy telling you to be scared. Yeah. They would hate you enough. The eerie music in the background. Jimmy Jacobs write this. I'm convinced this is what Jimmy Jacobs was inspired by his entire career. Oh, how about California? California 86. Take note of that one. 
That's a clue. Mountain Madness. So that what was a, the debut of the Black clash. Scorpion. <laughs> great clash sub. I miss those clashes with the subtitles, like yeah. um, like Shy Town Rumble. Like those were his great. Mm-hmm. Mountain Madness was probably my favorite. So okay, this was Oli's great idea. Rather than use somebody. By the way, I ran. I did all that. I should just let you read my own words. I'm like, oh, I just said that. Wait, <laughs> I summed that up much clearer back then. So dominating. It's okay. But anyways, um, so Oli's great idea was to create a new character rather than pushing somebody. So I want you to like Oli gives hints because don't I? You know me. You know who I am. My face looks different. You wouldn't recognize me today. Do you remember California in '86? Okay, today I have to hear on every podcast. Everybody says that pro wrestling is too inside. That the casual fan doesn't know what anyone is talking about. This is 33 fucking years ago. And he's and fucking only by the way, that is only Anderson doing the voice. Yes. Fucking yes. only Anderson is talking about Power Team USA. Mm-hmm. Nobody watching WCW Saturday night in night, not nobody, 10 people who watched WCW Saturday night in 1990 knew what Power Team USA was. Let me refresh this. Red Bastien, Rick Bassman had Rick Bassman had this idea where he was going to find four. If one Hulk Hogan can work, four Hulk Hogan's would be great. So he found four random ass bodybuilders, and we're going to turn them into professional wrestlers. There is, and I, I have this picture in the uh, in the article of Bassman with four dudes. One of them is Sting. Two of them you mm-hmm. don't know about because they didn't make it past that promo picture, and the other one is a very large man. With a kind of a mullety brown, mullety brown hair, right? Those two, Sting and him, become they go to Memphis and they—I forget what they're known as in Memphis. I think it's just Power Team USA. Something like that, check. yeah. Yeah, I think it's still Power Team USA, right? And that dude is Jim Helwig, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Borden, Jim Helwig. That's the first team. They're in Memphis. They're baby faces. It is awful. I think I attached the video to the article terrible yeah yeah it's absolutely awful you talk about sting this is sting great at promos you should see him in 1986 how (laughs) bad sting and jim helwig are at promos so they leave they turn heels because like they didn't have his baby faces they turn heels in memphis and then lawler kind of dis. they had that relationship with with uw with uh mid-south uwf right that Mm -hmm. meant with watts so when they're done in memphis they send them all down, and then Watts takes a look at these two roided-up dudes, which, let's be honest, that's what they were. They were two roided-up dudes, and said, hey, you know what the most successful duo of roided-up dudes were? The Road Warriors. We'll make yes. some knockoff Road Warriors and call them the Blade Runners. Right, Flash because the Blade, Blade Runner was a pretty big movie at the time, too. So. It actually was not a pretty big movie. It's actually it was not, really? Yeah. No, it was actually a big failure. Oh, okay. a Maybe it's like a cult. A cult, a cult thing. Then. Yeah, okay. it got big after. So it really got had a bunch of like you know uh, failure relations. But it's uh, like like again, same as Road Warriors took a title from an '80s movie that sounds really cool, The Road Warrior, mm. Blade Runner, and then you have the Blade Runners, Sting and Rock. That's a heel tag team in the UWF. Rock leaves. Rock goes to World Class and rechristens himself the Dingo Warrior. <laughs> who later, of course, would go to WWF as the yeah. Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior, yeah. So again, so most of your listeners probably know all that. So again, who the hell is he referencing, right? If you know this, if you are an insider fan, 
if you understand any of this, the only person that only Anderson could be talking about is the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, like, and this was in 1990, in the middle is, of the Ultimate Warriors title run. Correct. This is yeah. This is July or September of 1990, uh, about four months after he's defeated Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania four. Yeah. 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 This is what this is what's madness about all this is because and there's people there's again there's WCW fans that who knew who thought hey man Warrior might leave and go to WCW or maybe we'll get a champion versus champion match not anybody with the right mind but I mean like because you could easily have done this angle and just be like I'm someone from your past you won't remember me da 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 and it would have been whatever but the fact that he clearly steers into Sting's real history is setting up is, is is clearly just working the sheet readers. Like there's nothing else that it could have been, right? Yeah. Because nobody would have known about Power Team USA. Nobody knew that he was tag team partners with the Jim Hellwig and all that no. stuff. And then he'd started with them. So yeah, he was definitely leaning in, hoping that Dave would cover it. Um, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And hoping Dave would talk about it. Of course, Dave, I never read I have not read any of Dave's coverage of this because I don't have to read Dave's coverage to tell you that he would <laughs> said the ultimate warrior is not coming to WCW. The World Wrestling Federation champion is not coming to WCW to do a babyface versus babyface match. Yeah, and if I were able to talk to Oli, I would say, Oli, you know, maybe don't tease something you know you can't deliver on. Isn't right? that like rule one on one for promotion? Yeah, it's just it's just bad form. I know he's just trying to get people talking, you know, and get people interested in the product. But what you don't do is tease something that you know you have no chance of delivering on. Right. And there was no chance of delivering on it. Okay, a year later, there was a chance, right? Was, well, because yeah, but he, he was, lost he lost the title in ninety one and then he got fired, right? So so, so did Ole Anderson, coincidentally. That's that so, true, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a little prophetic on both sides there. But that's what's crazy about this whole story. And then when the Scorpion does show up in Mountain Madness, he's a dude in a mask doing magic tricks. And when I say magic tricks, I mean like lame ass shit that you would see from a kid's like party magician, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's just it's goofy shit. So the Black Scorpion was an unknown mystic who showed up in the promotion and he he immediately challenged Sting, as we just heard. Mm -hmm. Uh, The mystery of the Scorpion revolved around his identity. Unlike most masked man gimmicks, the Scorpion is only in the shadows, taunting the champ with clues and riddles to his identity. The challenge was made for the September 1990 Clash of Champions. Here, the Scorpion is just another masked man, and when Sting unmasks him mid-match, the champ is shocked to see the assailant wearing another mask. <laughs> what the hell is this shit? Um, and then rather than removing the next mask, Sting, who is always a stupid babyface, stands in awe as the second Scorpion shows up on the rampway, and rather than removing the next mask, for the next several months, Sting is tormented by the Scorpion, who performs r- rudimentary magic tricks while teasing Sting about the mystery of his identity. And eventually, Sting and uh, Scorpion face each other, and again, and the main event of Starkey ninety ninety. So we'll stop there. But yeah, he's Star- just doing magic tricks, and didn't he like? There, there was this one scene because this lady just died recently. And I can't think of her name. I should have actually looked it up. But there was a, a a plant in the crowd who was a a female wrestler who recently just died. I can't remember her name. And he, the Black Scorpion did like a mind control thing over her and had her attack sting in one of the poor segments. This is unbelievable. The crazy part is just like I mentioned, I kind of, I kind of downplay this a little bit. Sting has the match with him at Starcade. Starcade is in December. Yeah. This is in September. Right. And they had another pay-per-view before that. Yeah. That's what's nuts about this. Yeah. So like a Halloween havoc. And you remember who sting Russell's at Halloween havoc, 1990. Oh God. Wyndham. 
No. No. Well, kind of. No. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, it was because yeah, Wyndham came in um, as the fake Sting and mm-hmm. got pinned by Sid Vicious, right? Sid Vicious. Yes. Sid okay, is I the, remember now. Because yeah. Sid is in the horseman at this point, which is actually a good move. Like, bringing Sid yeah. – like, okay, I know we're, we're a wrestling observer-affiliated like, kind of deal. The newsletter – I will go to my grave with this. The newsletter knock on Sid is wrong. Sid rules. Yeah, it is. Sid, Sid ruled, in, yeah. Sid did, in fact, rule the world. He was awesome. He had he was. There was so much charisma and athleticism dripping off that guy. Like, be like, why do they push this guy? Because he's great. Yes, he's unreliable. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's yes. unreliable. But yes, look he loves, at the man. He loves softball. But I, I will say, yes, they were wrong about Sid. However, Dave Meltzer's nickname for him as Cycle Sid was well, pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was nineteen ninety. And look at the man. Yeah. Just look at the man. So yeah, Sting and Sid have this match at, at uh nineteen nineties uh, Halloween Havoc. Great show, by the way. If anybody ever has a chance yeah. to go back and watch Halloween Havoc ninety in, in a year for WCW that is really kind of it's a really good show. The nasty boys and the Steiners have this awesome match that's like kind yeah. of ahead of its time as far as just being like a wild, like hardcore style brawl. Like it's yeah. really good. Like it's a it's, it's, it's a show my favorite. It's my favorite Halloween Havoc, I think. I'm it's the sure. best Halloween Havoc, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. Like it's really good shit. But so so the end of that match is Barry Wyndham, who like is trademark long blonde hair, right? They have Barry Wyndham shave his head to look like Sting, to be a fake Sting, to take a dive so Sid can pin him. And even Jim <laughs> Ross and Tony Schiavone are, and I believe it's Ross and Schiavone, are like, what the fuck is going on here? And then Sting comes out and pins, you know, Sid, and they're all like, and the whole crowd is like, what the fuck? I mean, I just we just told you it was a really good show. Take that dumb fuck finish out of it. Like, <laughs> well, it's a good yeah, match. It, it, it was a good match, and I get what they were trying to do. It was a wacky finish. Uh, I didn't really particularly care for the finish, but I still like oh, the whole God, show. No. Yeah. God, but no. you got to remember that in 1990, I was seven. So stuff that you like when you're seven, you typically like when you're also 40. I was 10. So, I mean, like, I'm in the same boat as you. Like, so that's the, the finish of Halloween Havoc. Then they go into Starcade. You get the big thing, Sting versus the, the Black Scorpion. They have the Black Scorpion. Of course, when you think of scorpions and magic, of course, you would debut the Scorpion for his first match coming out of a spaceship. <laughs> Just uh, classic, classic stuff. Classic I mean, stuff. you can't make the ship. And then the Black Scorpion finally comes out. You take one look at the Black Scorpion and you go, oh, that's Ric Flair. Like, yeah, because well, he has the big nose. Come got to the, the nose. Mask. It's the nose. Yeah. Like, there's just, yeah. Dude, you see, you, you just know Ric Flair. And he's trying not to work like Ric Flair in the match, but it's clearly Ric Flair. And then Sting yes. demas- unmasks him, and that's Flair. And I think I think Barry Windham's another mask Sting in that one, too, or mask Scorpion that one too. And so they finally end this thing at and Sting wins at at uh, Starcade ninety, and then Flair beats him a couple weeks later in a house show, and then they yeah. they put an end to this thing. So like people will talk about, oh man, Sting couldn't draw. Sting was terrible to draw as champion. You draw with that. Who the hell yeah. would draw with that if that's the creative you're given? Right. They 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 shit the bed, not Sting, because everything Sting did, like the matches were always really good, and he yeah. was always crazy over with the crowd. Yeah. They just couldn't line up the opponents that he needed to be able to draw. Even when they tried, even when they like actually put real effort in, like Jake Roberts, like on paper, a Jake Roberts Sting feud should have been great. 
it started mm-hmm. off really good and then did not end well at all. <laughs> like that's just the cla- that's just the story. I mean, the only Sting doesn't have anyone to work with outside of Flair until Vader shows up, right? And, and that's not until ninety two. Yeah, and yeah. Ca- he had some good stuff with Cactus. He did have it's true. He did have good, but Cactus wasn't supposed to be. Cactus was just supposed to be a monster for him to beat up. Like the Cactus yeah. thing almost worked on accident because Mick Foley was just so damn good. Like, so again, like the whole part of my article I wonder is okay, we know that the black scorpion was a failure. We know they want for some reason they wanted to tease us that it was gonna be the ultimate warrior, which clearly it wasn't. Who should have been the black scorpion? So that's kind of you what got, I thought. And I, I put three yeah. possible candidates in who I thought should be. So, I mean, like hearing about this whole thing, Mike, looking back on this, uh, not taking my, you know, my article into consideration, who would you have booked as the Black Scorpion? You know, the idea that I saw tossed around uh, that I actually really liked, I don't know that it would have worked, but I would have liked to have seen them try. It would have been Eddie Gilbert. That's the uh, one I went I, with. You know, because he was never really like he did do a little bit of drawing. He drew a little bit in Memphis. He was a really good worker. He was kind of seen as a geek in WCW. But I think at this point, he hadn't been around in a little bit. And he was friends with Sting. They had the UWF connection and all that stuff. Um, and you could explain it away as him being from Sting's past. I I think that I would have I would have liked Eddie Gilbert. Would it have drawn? That I don't know because it was Eddie Gilbert was never really seen as a top guy, but I, I think I still would have liked it. So let's look at it this way. You gotta take draw out of the equation because it didn't draw. Yeah, right. right. The black scorpion. If you tell me the black scorpion angle was meant to draw, I'll call you a liar. And even Ole Anderson says the scorpion angle was done for TV, right? To do yeah. something on TV. So, I mean, I, I put, like, because it was played by Al Perez and the Angel of Death. The Angel of Death was a WCW, uh, WCCW, excuse me, world-class mid-card guy. Yeah, he looked kind of like Nikita Koloff. Wasn't great. So I pontificated him as one of them. I also said Luger. Luger could have been yeah, a, a black scorpion because him and Sting always had that frenemy thing going, right? They were both they were both best friend and hated enemy, which is what happens in 91. A year later, when Sting, Cactus, Cactus comes in in 91, and they're doing the, the Jim Cord, the famous Jim Cord, come out of a box, you're over. That's WC, that's mm-hmm. what they were doing. Medusa was leading out these, like, gi- essentially giant refrigerator boxes, and it was Abdul the Butcher and uh, Cactus Jack coming out to beat up Sting. Right. And that was Luger that was setting that up. Luger was the guy behind that. And they do the Luger heel turn. So if you to push something like that up a year, right? Because again, makes sense on paper. Luger has is the guy that has been unable to beat Flair since 1988. Right. Luger is the mm-hmm. guy who has to hold the fort down while Sting is injured. Luger is the has been the US champion basically since 1987 at this point. Right, Luger like holds that U.S. title for three years, almost uninterrupted. Right, but never gets that top belt. So on paper, it makes sense for your best friend to be super jealous of you, right? Because they won the Crockett Cup in '88 together. Like there's a there's a relationship already. And again, they did it in '92. They basically did it again in '95 when Luger comes back. It would have worked if they'd have just pulled the trigger on it and made Luger. And he could just written off as he was lying. Right, because he's yeah. Sting's best friend, so he knew enough about Sting to fuck with him. Right, so Luger could have been the Black Scorpion. What do you think of that? I I, I think I like it. I but Luger was such kind of like a you know a clean cut suits and all this and that. I you know I 
I just don't know if that would have been the right fit for him. Here, here's another thought. What about Dr. Death, Steve Williams? I know he was doing his Japan stuff at the time. Um, I, maybe, maybe he could have been done something like that. Um, I, maybe, maybe that would have been cool because I, you know, they never, they did try to get behind him a little bit when he first came over after UWF was purchased. Um, uh, maybe what do you think about Dr. Death? I never thought about Dr. Death cause he's kind of in and out and he's more concerned with uh new, with all Japan in this era, but he does have a, a run with, like you said, like he's with the varsity club, right. Yeah. In 88, 89. And he's like he's pushed games. He's in he war. Was, he's in the yeah. ooh, the original Tower of Doom, the original WCW Tower of Doom <laughs> match. Ooh, that's bad. He's in that one. So I mean, you could have done Steve Williams because he had been back and forth as babyface, and Steve Williams never really got a main event shot in the U.S. So that could have worked. Yeah. The problem is the angle. Like the, like you said, Flair yeah. like uh, Luger wouldn't have worked because he was clean cut guy with all the suits. Yeah. So was Flair, and he was yeah, the Scorpion. Right, and that and that that wouldn't have worked. I I just felt like you didn't. If you're gonna, you know, turn Luger and push him against Sting, you wouldn't have needed to do the Black Scorpion thing. Um, and and of course they shouldn't have done it with with Flair. I think Eddie Gilbert would have been a good choice. But if they were trying to elevate somebody like an Eddie Gilbert, um, a guy who hasn't had a shot that had been a little bit of a veteran that had a history with Sting, um, you would start looking at some of the guys from the UWF that happened to be either in the company or available at the time. Um, Eddie Gilbert, obviously one of them. Dr. Death would have been another one. Rick and then Steiner. you start Rick. So Rick Steiner was going to be my next, was going to be my next guy. The problem with that is, is you, you break up probably the hottest tag the team hottest act that they had in the company. In wrestling, basically. Yeah. Especially since the road warriors had left for WWF and the Steiners had really kind of taken their mantle as the tag team, right? This, yeah. cause the Steiners and if you haven't had a chance to see 1990, 1991 Steiner brothers matches, they're awesome. Like my, they're my favorite tag team of all time. Mine too. Yeah. yeah. Like there's not even a close second. Like they're doing stuff that's just off the charts. And real in reality, they're just beating the ever living shit out of people. But mm-hmm. it looks really great on television. The only guy it could have been is Gilbert. And here's the thing: Eddie Gilbert it was booking the UWF at the end of um, its existence, right? Eddie Gilbert is literally the final booker of the UWF. And even during the purchase, he's running the TV. Jim Crockett Productions really has no interest in having the UWF run as a second promotion. They just wanted the TV time slots. So almost immediately that thing gets shit on. And Eddie Gilbert really isn't happy with that. So he actually goes off after that and, and actually starts booking the, C- the old CWA to or Continental Championship Wrestling Territory, renames it the Continental Wrestling Federation. It kind of becomes like the toast indie of like the news the newsletter set for a long time. It never quite works out. And then he winds up back in WCW in 1989. And he was actually the point like when Flair and Wyndham, he's he's feuding with Flair, right? In early 89. Him and Wyndham, he is a, a mystery tag team a partner for a match with Flair and Wyndham, and it's Steamboat. Like he was actually the the catalyst of Steamboat storyline, Steamboat's mm-hmm. return to WCW. And he's there, and he's there's a big heel turn planned for Eddie Gilbert, because he's a babyface. There's a big heel turn planned for Eddie Gilbert at Great American Bash 89, but Flair is the booker in 89, right? He's leading the committee. And Flair and Gilbert don't like each other. So Flair kind of like poo-poos it and it never happens so then gilbert's gone from wcw kind of after that and then he was not in the company in 1990 and this is why i'll argue it should have been eddie gilbert because i believe he's back in memphis at this time 
if you can get hot stuff Eddie Gilbert back in and if people can kind of swallow egos and realize what it is, the only person it could logically have been in storyline is Eddie Gilbert because Eddie Gilbert is Sting's first manager. Sting and and Ultimate Warrior at the time were part of Hot Stuff International. Eddie Gilbert mm-hmm. was their manager from the time they debut. Eddie Gilbert is the guy. Right. And this is as a heel. They start as heels. Then they turn babyface when uh, the UWF buyout happens and they come into uh, Crockett proper. Right. And then Sting and Gilbert aren't really super aligned with each other anymore. But that in itself is the basis of a storyline. Right. And they have the video footage to be able to help tell that story, to do the backstory on it. Exactly. Like who else would have known all that stuff about Sting and would have been able to manipulate it? Eddie Gilbert, who is a guy who did magic tricks. Eddie Gilbert was a huge Jerry Lawler fan and threw fireballs, mm-hmm. right? Eddie Gilbert is the only person that it could have now was right. Would it have drawn? Probably not, but you have a chance to actually tell a story about a, like a, the term jilted lover comes to mind, but he's not really lovers. Like it's a jilted mentor, right? Yeah. Cause you see this, you hear this story a lot where you, you mentor somebody along as like, you see something in them and then they get really good and they wind up surpassing you. And the Eddie Gilbert character could have easily have been like miffed because this guy that he took a shot on, that he saw the potential in before anybody else brought this guy, mentored him along. And then he goes off and becomes the world champion. What happens to Eddie Gilbert? Right. It'd yeah. be very, very easy. And this is what's great is you could use the scorpion to launch that story. And then it could have become something completely different. And I think that's the biggest missed opportunity the Black Scorpion is it became all about the scorpion. It became all about the mask and the magic and all that stuff. When what it should have been is it should have been a launching point to something else. Because that storyline could have, because again, it's always when the champion, when the, when the overcoming babyface, when the guy who has to climb up the mountain reaches there, what else is there? There has to be another mountain for him to climb. Mm. And they never gave Sting that mountain. Like again, the, the scorpion's supposed to be it, but it's a it's it's nothing, and it's not meant to be anything. Like Oli says, <laughs> I made it up. I made it up and didn't have I didn't have any ideas for it really, which is a yeah. lie because you're clearly you're clearly telling a story. Like you have yeah. ideas, but you don't have an endpoint. So that's a problem when writing. You have, especially writing wrestling or booking wrestling. You have to have an endpoint planned, and that endpoint should have been the next big thing. And that's where it should have gotten really personal because you could have done a really cool storyline where Eddie Gilbert, who knows everything about Sting, is now trying to break him. Well, they didn't and do that. And it could have been perfect. And the thing about Eddie Gilbert is he could promo his ass off. He could have been he able could. to tell that story on the microphone. He would have carried Sting on the microphone. He would have definitely gotten a ton of heat because he was a very good heel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he, like, if you take a look at some of the old Memphis stuff that he did, he was awesome. It was excellent. Eddie Gilbert was absolutely excellent. He admired Jerry Lawler, right? He was a student of the game and he got pro wrestling. The problem with Eddie Gilbert is that one, he had his issues, which again, it was early nineties. Yeah. A lot of guys had the same issues, but he wanted to be a booker. Right. Mm-hmm. And in WCW, he was never going to get that spot because him and flair didn't like each other. Right. And him and he wasn't an Oli guy. So Oli was never going to give him that shot. So, I mean, he really needed he would really need to have had someone believe in him and to like really, hey, we're going to go all in with this. But the problem is, is like they didn't have that plan. They didn't have an out, really. They just figured they would do it and then they would go somewhere else with it. And what it really does is it really derails Sting. It really hurts the first year of Sting's reign as a champion. And like, again, I think a lot of that is like, oh, Sting couldn't draw, Sting couldn't draw is based on this. 
because like there's yeah. nothing for him to draw with like what is tangible about this black scorpion why are we supposed to be interested and again this went on for four months <laughs> yeah it was bad tv for four months yeah and 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 that was the problem with it. You know, honestly, they should have never done this Black Scorpion. I think everybody no. can agree with that. They should have immediately did the Luger heel turn and then went straight to to the building towards Luger and Sting, right? Um, and doing that because at the time, you know, they were they were that next generation. Like Flair was kind of the previous generation. They were ready for the fail. Well, some most people were not ready for to let go of Flair. No, but, nobody's ready. Um, That's the problem. Yeah. It's but not you until, can still you can still do a flare or you can still do a sting and Luger feud while Flair has some other stuff to do off the side. Well, that's the problem too. Is like when they're remember that when Luger does get his title, right? Bash ninety one. It's Luger and Wyndham in this quickly thrown together cage match. They don't even have the belt in that pay per view. Yeah. They didn't even have the belt. They had the old floor. I think it was the Florida title with a plate yeah. over it. So they're trying to cover up like this is our world title. Like, yeah. It's like, and the fans are just chanting, "We want Flair" the whole time. Like you talk about a about a bunch of fans shitting out a whole. And by the way, the pay per view was god awful, atrocious, awful, yeah, awful. It has a it has a the most boring chain match in the history. Like Punk and Punk and um, I'm Jeff like to brag about the greatest dog collar match or something like that. The worst chain match is Sting and Nikita Koloff. Yeah. It's bloodless and boring, and it should have been good, and it was terrible, just terrible. So like, yeah. So they do this Luger heel turn, right, at Bash 91, and they start building the Sting-Luger feud. Well, Luger freaking quits. Yeah. He becomes Two months into his reign. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then he, yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, I'm out. And then like they finally do the match at Super Brawl, and Luger is enormous, ju- juiced out of his gourd at that point, and then he's gone. So you never... You never like you got the match, but you couldn't because Luger had already had his contract dates. He never showed up. He wasn't mm-hmm. on TV for like two months leading into this. So you never really had that true Sting uh, Luger thing. That's why Sting's feuding with the Dangerous Alliance because they couldn't get Luger on the show. Like it's just, it's the ineptitude of WCW is just, un- and it's my favorite company ever. Like that's just the worst <laughs> part. It's like I look back on WCW with yeah. like all these fond memories and I'm like, look how awful this was. Like constantly. Yeah. The, the funny thing about Luger is he, he very publicly burned WCW to go to WWF. And then he, three years later, very publicly burns WWF to go right back to WCW. With he a burned them both. Yeah, with a pay He's cut. A he, pay cut. Yeah, he, he burned them both, which I find hilarious. It's kind of like that one thing, you know, with the thing that they say is like, hey, don't ever get with a guy or a girl like that cheated or, or don't ever get this cheating on their husband because they're going to do it right. to you. Right. Right. Yeah. Don't ever, don't ever think that you're like, I think I forgot the cliche goes, but if you're, if you're with, if you're with a girl who's cheating on her husband, there's a good chance she's going to cheat. On you. Yeah. We've both butchered that whole thing, but that's basically yeah. what Lex Luger was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. You know, what's funny when Luger comes back to WCW in 95, like, the first three years of that return are really good from him. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Like it's the work Not, of his career. 97 Luger. Tremendous. Mm-hmm. Tremendous babyface. 90, like early, yeah. late 95 Luger as a heel. Like when him and Sting, 
I don't know if anybody's ever seen this because late 90, like people don't talk about the early nitros. They talk about the NWO nitros, but those are like the best story of those early nitros is the Sting Luger tag team where Sting is mm-hmm. a baby face and Luger's a piece of shit heel. And everybody's like, like, like Sting, why are you with this guy? And it's like, hey, he's my best friend. He's like, yeah, he's a piece of shit, but he's my <laughs> piece of shit. So, yeah. and it's like in there with Jimmy Hart and it's just like, like, like Luger will be, yeah, baby face and Sting will turn around and Luger like fake smacking a kid in the crowd or something like that it's so it's so great like those two like oh it's so good like those two had such unbelievable chemistry together like which is again what makes the the sting crow stuff work because he luger turned his back on him and stings like i had your fucking back for a year and some dork dresses like me and you buy it fuck this place you know <laughs> there's no more there's no more uh, an understandable character the 1996 sting that has just absolutely had it with this environment and this bullshit that he's put up with for six years and he's like you people i'm out i hate all you people i'm gonna go sit in the in the rafters for a year <laughs> and still get paid i love got it paid well got paid yeah. well didn't have a tan though so that hurt him so, i love it man well this was a lot of fun going down memory lane talking some black scorpion one of the uh the worst angles in WCW history. I think we could do a lot of podcasts just based off of bad WCW angles. Honestly, I I agree hundred percent. There's <laughs> there's so and they're more fun to talk about than W because when WWE does bad stuff, it just kind of fizzles out. When WCW did bad stuff, it was like spectacularly bad. Yeah, and the they, and there's like potential. They they committed, but there's like I, I still maintain they could have done something with the Scorpion. Like the two Undertaker thing was just terrible from the jump, and it never. I mean, like I'll maintain the double Undertakers is worse than Black Scorpion. Ooh, that's a hot take. I'll I will I, fight. I don't anyone. I don't I don't disagree with you, but the dual Undertaker did sell out the United Center. I was one of those, <laughs> so I was couldn't hated it that much. Oh no, I did. <laughs> I was 14 and jaded. Like, I'm like, yeah. this is stupid. I was, I was there for Brett and Owen in the cage. I was that, yeah. I was a smart even back then. Like, yeah, that's funny. Oh, it's terrible, yeah. man. Look like I will. I mean, like, I know that was the main event, but I will argue that it was Brett and Owen that did it. Cause like mm-hmm. nobody bought that. That undertaker thing was just, it was awful. Absolutely awful. They had lamb. They had not lamb. Neil Neeson. Lee, Leslie Nielsen. Excuse me. Yeah. If they had lamb. Neeson. That would be fucking awesome. No, they had, the, <laughs> they had Leslie Nielsen from the Naked Gun, like doing a search for Undertaker in the arena. God, that was Jesus. Yeah. No, I'm gonna say that the Undertaker, oh, the Undertaker is worse oh. than the Black Scorpion. And that, but they also had uh, Chuck Norris come out and do a spin kick on Jeff Jarrett. Wasn't that the same one? No, that was when uh, that was Undertaker Yokozuna. That was like okay. the next paper. Su- Survivor Series. That was Survivor Series ninety. Survivor Series. Yeah, that's yeah. where the Undertaker yeah. died. That was before. Okay, no, that was before. That was a year before. That's when Undertaker oh, okay. died. Remember? And then, he gets- and then he the the lasers he got resurrected yeah. through the coffin up to the yeah. heavens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're talking I, about I hear- pro wrestling, folks. This is. You guys are so spoiled today that like the pro wrestling you get, you know, and like I hear people talk about dumb pro wrestling stuff. You don't even like this is worse than the, the than the peak of the fiend. This shit was way worse than that. Yeah, yeah, so. it's uh, really really bad, but I love to talk about it, JD. This is a lot of. Fun. We got we got a really cool thing to talk about this week. You wrote an article earlier this week uh, for the Patreon. It ended up going to a Voices of Wrestling too, so it got spread out wide. But you did release it on Patreon first. So um, 
Yeah, and the the title of the article uh, was "Greener Grass: Why Bookers from the Past Aren't Always the Best Solution," and it was shit in reference title. to. It's a it was shit in reference. Title. I I like it. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't. I was very. I was. I thought it was like super genius at the time, and then I saw when Rich put his the version for the voices out. I was like, my title fucking blows, man. I was really disappointed <laughs> in that. <laughs> but um, but uh, it was in reference to so this this dipshit um from a nodq.com nodq is kind of an aggregate site but they i guess they kind of let anybody write opinion pieces for their site they have a huge following too by the way like the on they, on twitter but they're they're one they, of those they're one of those they buy, they buy their, their followers, followers. Yeah, they buy their followers yeah. man that's, yeah. that's not real they they have followed me about 12 times in hopes that i would follow them back and i just never do i blocked um, them because i got tired of them asking like doing the same gag and i you know i don't i got no time for that shit block <laughs> yeah so um they had they had this um this article and the why don't you go ahead and tell us what the article was about so the article is basically about how AEW is a gigantic failure and you read these things all the time from people and i'm going in there and it's like oh they're everything is bad the show is bad tony can't control his locker room and it's like you know, there's kernels of truth, but then he was like, he needs to hire people who know what they're doing. He is inexperienced. He needs to hire people who knows what he's doing. And he referenced Dutch Mantel, uh, Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff. Who else was in there? Um, like, just who's who of failures? Yeah. And like, I read this and I'm like, so the has been on for four years at this point. They just sold, they didn't sell at Wembley. They had a good number, debatable. At Wembley Stadium, they're about to get a billion dollar TV deal. Tony Khan is more successful than any of these guys. Yeah, Tony Khan is is the second most successful booker of the modern era at this point, right? Uh, he he's yeah he. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's some folks that can argue about the you know Japanese bookers and things like that. But as far as our country, America, domestically, yeah, yeah. Domestically, yeah, domestically, it, it would be it would be him of the last thirty years. It's him and Vince, right? Yeah. It's him and yeah. Vince. Like, excuse me. Like, you could say Kevin Salt because Eric didn't book anything. Eric wasn't a booker. And like, when all these guys have had second cracks, it's all failed. Like, AEW has outlasted Smoky Mountain, right? And most yeah. of smoke, the the when people look back on Smoky Mountain fondly, you're talking about 92, 93. By 94, they're bringing in WWF guys and Cornets tank the company, right? Yeah. And then Cornette got his second chance booking Ring of Honor. And managed to do worse than the guy that came before him. Who was Adam Pierce, actually? Like, he managed to not do as well. So it's like all these, and Dutch Mantel, like, you can't tell me you were watching his stuff in Puerto Rico. And I can tell you when he was running TNA, it wasn't as good. Yeah. Right. Well, he, and he was basically Jeff Jarrett's second hand. So he was part of creative, but Jeff Jarrett was booking the company. D- Dutch was just a guy Vince giving was, ideas. Vin, I mean, like, Vince Russo and Jarrett, Jarrett was in charge. Vince and Dutch worked for Jarrett. There were times where Dixie made Vince out, uh, outrank Jarrett. But for the most part, it was Jarrett, Dutch, and Vince. Yeah, pretty much. And it got me thinking about how when uh, I remember when I wrote a piece for uh, not Fight Game for uh, um, who the hell did I used to work for? Fan sided. <laughs> not yeah. Thank you. Fan sided, yeah. and it was <laughs> the same time. It's similar. That was when uh, Vince hired Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman to write to run to run Raw and SmackDown, and I said it's not going to work. And I wrote a big thing about how Eric coming into TNA. Now that didn't work, and that experiment lasted like four months. 
and then Vince was like, no, they're gone, you know. And then this one, it got me thinking about this guy because again, it's not. A, it was a terribly written, terribly researched article. Like the guy was calling for, he was calling for Action Brunson to get fired. That is not a person. <laughs> and and if he's talking about Action Brunson, Action Brunson doesn't work there. So that'd be Action easy to fire. Brunson a guy. doesn't work there. Action yeah. Andretti does work there. Somehow yes. he conflated the two. And demanded they that a person that person be fired. It was just like this is this is the this is the the poorest the most poorly researched article and written article that I've ever read. And it, but it inspired me to talk about because he's not alone. This isn't like the first time someone has said this. Like every time, every time something happens, they want oh Freddie Prince on. He wanted Freddie Prince to see that Freddie, <laughs> Freddie Prince should book the promotion. Yeah, yeah. So um, I got to thinking about like people want the voices from when they think wrestling was good to still be involved. And it made me think that back in the eight, back in the early nineties, when WCW became a thing, the constant call from the, there was two people, the news writers were demanding should book WCW. One was hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert, who shot himself in the foot everywhere he went, but he had the newsletter writers in his pocket. So he could get them to sing his praises whenever he want. And he wasn't that great of a booker. I'll tell you. I mean, he was all right. But I mean, like, go back and watch some of those. Uh, uh, what was the name of that promotion? He booked Continental. Those CWF shows. Ain't good. I'll tell you that for a fact. And that was going to be like his thing. So the other one was Bill Watts. And for years, because because in 1984, when Bill Watts got his big shot, when he was put on TBS TV, because Ted was Ted Turner was mad at Vince for not doing an Atlanta show. So he gave a crack to Ole Anderson's new Georgia promotion. And he also put mid South on. And when the WWF was getting hot in 85, the number one show on television on television, cable TV was mid South wrestling. Mm-hmm. And cause we talked about it last year. We, we did, we both did like a rewatch of 84 mid South. The show <laughs> yeah. was great. Like it was, it fantastic. was absolutely great. Watts wasn't it, booking though at that. No, that was no, Bill Dundee was, that was booking. Yeah, that from show. Memphis. So, mm-hmm. and if you like, if you like, um, the early days of AEW, it was very heavily influenced by Big 1984 Mid South. Like ton, tons of like run-ins, hot finishes, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. like you know, beatdowns before the bell. You know what I mean? Like AEW. Uh, Tony Khan, he's inspired. He's got a lot of inspirations when it comes to his booking. Obviously, very inspired by Bill Watts is um, Mid South. There's some TNA influence there. Mm-hmm. There's some ECW influence, and of course, he's probably a little bit influenced by Vince. He tries to take the good that they all do. Yeah, he mm-hmm. takes, tries to take the good that they all do and incorporate it into his company, uh, which I think is smart. Um, but I think the overall tone um, had a lot of, of a, 1984 Mid South and. Like 1996, 1997, WCW Nitro with mm-hmm. the party-like atmosphere that they had in the early days of AEW Dynamite. The influencers are there. the influences are there. So I would strongly recommend people go out of the way to go watch that. It's on YouTube. I, there's a playlist out there. So. There's playlists out there. The the W yeah. the network the Peacock has all those shows, but it's not the same because you don't you, you don't get the unlicensed music. <laughs> and yeah. part of the fun of Mid South is the unlicensed music. It's watching Junkyard Dog come out to another one bites the dust. It's like it's listening to the Rock and Roll Express come out to ELO. Like there's the music is a big part of it. So you lose mm-hmm. you lose a big something when you don't watch the pirated shows. Um, yeah. But anyways, Watts was a smart man in that he always like when when his territory first got hot in the early 80s under when Junkyard Dog, he had Ernie Ladd booking the show. 
So that was good. And then he did his deal with Memphis, right? That they traded. I believe it was they traded Rude, Rick Rude, and maybe King Kong Bundy. Yeah, King Kong Bundy to Memphis for the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. So they had this legit trade. And then with them, Bill Dundee came in, right? So Bill Dundee took all his Memphis influence and mixed it with Bill Watts's you know, legitimate tough guy stuff. And it made for just great TV, mm-hmm. right? So they're hot on TBS in the eighties. Big, big event. And if you go back and like I said, you go back and watch, you watch an episode of 1984 Mid-South from the same week, pick an episode of championship wrestling, WWF, even pick an episode of Crockett. It's, there's not even a comparison. Mid-South is far and away the better show. Far and away. So Watts, so when shit went south with, uh, was going south with Vince and Ted Turner, Watts thought he was going to get the spot. He thought he was going to get that world championship wrestling. When I say world championship wrestling, I'm not talking about WCW. I'm talking about the time, the show, the, the uh, 605 time slot. That was what was, that was the TV show was called world championship wrestling. It was called world championship wrestling. When Georgia had it, it was called world championship wrestling. When Vince had it, and it was called world championship wrestling. When the guy that swept in from underneath Watts's nose and bought the slot from Vince. And that was Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett bought it. And that's why the company was called WCW because the name of the show that had been on since the late seventies was called world championship wrestling. They even had the same intro for all three promotions that, but I don't know. It was kind of like, it's kind of like wide world of sports or something. It was like the same. And then they would just kick it to the current wrestling promotion that had the time slot. Right. So they kept all of the other stuff, the same, just the, the promoter and the wrestlers would change over time because different people would get in on the time slot. Right. So when Crockett makes his deal to come on to TBS, he buys the spot from Vince, very famous million dollars. Hope you'll choke on that million. And he kind of did. And um, <laughs> they thought that Watts was pissed because Watts like I had like I'm the guy who brought the ratings. Crockett right. is just coming out of nowhere. Fortunately, Crockett gets super hot in 85. Like everything clicks when Crockett goes to TBS. Like it's crazy. Watts still had his syndication network like watts had syndicators like he followed the wwf model and he had syndicators across the country and he's like we're going national so he was doing his own thing eventually in 86 he rebrands to the uwf which i don't think was a good move it's kind of the beginning of the end but, yeah, uh, but i can i can see i can see why he did yeah, that though sure. um, because like they wanted it to seem Sound bigger. bigger like they didn't want to be like a regional promotion because it would be like world championship wrestling and then they were called mid-atlantic championship wrestling or mid-atlantic wrestling so no no you don't want that because this is going out all over the country so you want Correct. that bigger vibe and the bigger feel so i get why he did that the problem was calling it uwf which sounds exactly like wwf but the universe is bigger than the world yeah. same same yeah. rationale yeah. vince uses on his belts currently so it just it was a bad i get why he did it he should have picked a different title anyways yeah. By late 80, by early 86, the Oklahoma oil economy completely collapses and they just aren't selling, they aren't selling tickets to the shows in the home markets. And that's the lifeblood of the company. Well, and they lost JYD to that happened way earlier. That happened. I mean, like that happens in 84. Like they're hot. (laughs) Like when they're the number one show in the T in TV, JYD is gone. Like that's what, and this is what Watts did well is he booked, like they left JYD. But they're still selling. They do great business after JYD leaves because they have the Rock and Roll Express. And then when the Rock and Roll mm. Express leaves, they have Hacksaw Jim Duggan. The problem mm. is he couldn't let go of JYD. So he had all yeah. these, he kept trying to make the next black baby face and it never works. 
right? But at the same time, they had guys who were drawing. Like the Rock and Roll Express in particular were huge main event draws for that company, mm-hmm. right? They had Hacksaw Jim Duggan, huge main event draw. The problem is when Duggan leaves, they try to make Dr. Death the next guy, and it doesn't quite work. Right. right. So by Dr. The end, Death just wasn't ready for the spot yet. No, um, wasn't there. He yeah, wasn't ready and they, and they and they still had they still had T- DiBiase pretty much till till the end. Top but, heel. He was the top heel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. good. It's still a good show. But by the mm-hmm. end, like uh they have um Michael Hayes books and Eddie Gilbert books at the very end. And eventually Jim uh Jim Ross negotiates a deal where they sell the UWF to Crockett. Crockett buys it and um takes the network. And then so Watts, the idea that that not even Watts, but Ross, Jim Ross pitches Jim Crockett was we could have the Super Bowl wrestling. UWF has its show. WCW or Jim Crockett has its shows once a year. We come together. Big event. And Dusty didn't let it happen. They what they did was they took Watts's offices in Dallas and moved the company <laughs> to Dallas and spent way more money than they had to. And then right. they were broke six months later and had to sell <laughs> to Turner. Yeah. So not quite like the Ring of Honor situation with Tony Khan, more like Vince. It's closer to Vince buying WCW that we talked about last time. So yeah. anyway, Watts sells, and then he is gone from pro wrestling for five years. And in that time, all these newsletter readers who have fond memories of Mid-South Championship or Mid-South Wrestling are saying, you know who WC should bring to run WCW? You know who should bring to run WCW? Bill Watts. Bill Watts would do a great job here. And Dave was chief among them, quite frankly, at that time. Mm-hmm. And then and then it happened. They hired WCW hired Bill Watts to run the promotion at a time that they were starting to get more popular. Because Heard leaves in, in the summer of 91 after the flare debacle. The company is at its absolute lowest. And by mid-92, they're starting to turn things around. They're starting to do better. And Bill Watts comes in. And Dave, Dave put it the best. Dave said, at that point, I realized Bill Watts had not watched wrestling in five years. And if you watch pro wrestling from 1987 and compare it to pro wrestling from 1992, it's a different world. Completely different world. And he's not booking just one TV show. WCW had several TV shows um, mm-hmm. all over, all over TBS at the time. They weren't, they weren't on TNT yet, but they had, you know, they had the Saturday night show, they had WC worldwide, WCW pro um, main event too. Was main event still around? Yeah. Main, so they had four, they had four shows plus clash of the champions and their pay-per-views. So they, they, and they had it, a lot. Well, worldwide was on syndication, right? So worldwide yeah. was on syndicated markets across the country. Main event had its own show in Chicago on top of the TBS one. Like we had a special version of main event here. Like oh, that, was, really? that was Chicago centric. Yeah. Jack Brickhouse and Tony Schiavone would do the wraparounds and it was, it was a different show. It was meant for here. It's kind of cool. It didn't really work, but yeah, so yeah. they're, they're like four or five shows that Watts setting. Now Dusty Rhodes is the booker and right away Watts comes in and he makes all these ridiculous changes, both on camera and off. <laughs> yeah. My, guys my are, favorite, go ahead. <laughs> my favorite one, you, you didn't want guys jumping off the top rope. Yep. <laughs> That was that was uh and that was that was like the kicker. I was like, why, like of all the rules to make, why why that rule? Because that was the rule <laughs> in Mid South. They had these big dudes who like you jump off the top, yeah. you could kill somebody. Three months earlier, Brian Pillman and Jushin Thunder Liger have the ma- have the best North American match in a decade. Super and those Ball two are yeah. all ninety two, and those fuckers are jumping all over the place. 
Yeah. You know, it was always you can't throw a guy over the top rope. But then Watts decides that having the mats circling the ring is a look makes the guys look soft. So he takes those away and he changes the work style. And then, well, okay. So he changes the work style. He puts all these rules in. You have to show up when the show starts. You can't leave till the show ends, regardless of where you are on the card. Like he puts all these ridiculous rules into place. So the guys immediately hate right away. But the interesting was he was going to get the store. It's never been official, but speculated that Bill Watts was brought in to get the spending under control and he would get a bonus based on how much money he could cut from the budget. So the first person he goes after is Brian Pillman, who signed this big deal. He was going to be the star of the junior heavyweight division. And he said, we'll keep your push going if you take a pay cut. And Brian Pillman said, fuck you. I will be the <laughs> highest paid. I will be the <laughs> highest paid jobber in history. And yeah. he was for like three or four months. He lost mm. everything. And that fucker did not care. Like, cause he was getting paid and it was, it was pretty bad. Eventually they turned Pillman heel and the rest is history. But I mean, and every, about a month into the Watts tenure, everybody figured out that, Oh my God, he's out of touch. Yeah, it, you awful. can't, you can't, I don't know, you can't, you can't not watch wrestling for five years and then try to bring in ideas from five years ago as if they're still current and relevant. You can bring in like templates and things like that, like, um, and but you have to modernize those things. You have to update those things. It's true in any type of business. You don't, sometimes you got to take a couple steps back so you can go forward. You don't want to take five years worth of steps back. You know what I mean? It would, it would be like, um, it would be like, you know, the New York Jets ran the shotgun offense in the 70s. It'd be like, you know, Vince Lombardi coming in there and say, oh, no, we're only doing running plays and you're only going to throw it, you know, 10 times a game and then trying to trying to win a Super Bowl. It, does, it wouldn't actually work. He tried to he took he took his ideology over to, I think, the Redskins and he didn't do so well over there because he was a little bit out of touch. He'd been. He'd been, uh, you know, his ideas were from the '60s, but he's got a coach for the '70s. You got to update your style, right? You got to continue moving forward and continue thinking forward, and you got to make sure that you not you don't have to watch everything, but your scouting department is watching all these other different areas and finding out what the new cool hip things are. Something that he was doing in 1984, he was one of the guys, early adopters of bringing in like rock and roll music and, mm-hmm. you know, bringing in the girls the rock and roll express, you know, who else did pretty well in mid South was the fantastics yeah. and things like that. But those guys, the way they looked in 1992, like that, that style didn't really work anymore. They're like the little teeny bopper um, tag teams. They didn't really, you know, work anymore in, in 1992. So you have to update those things. And, uh, and not not only was it his his idea of what wrestling should be, it was the way he treated people um, was obviously way behind the times because now he's going from this little regional territory where he is the end all be all, but now he's going into Turner and he's got a ton of bosses. And oh, it turns out that this redneck from the south said some pretty racist shit, and uh, and uh, they got they they found out about. It. I think Wade Keller uh, did an interview with him, and he so said some it- pretty horrendous stuff. It was Mark Madden, but it was a torch talk Mark, with Mark Madden. Yeah. And Madden gets him to because Bill Watts is this. Bill Watts was like a libertarian before libertarianism was like, you know, I don't want to say cool because I don't think it's ever been cool. But I mean, like there was an era, there was a time about 10, 15 years ago where, you know, people who were libertarian were like the edgy people. I'm a libertarian. <laughs> I have I have like 
my social i have like a social conscience but i believe in like cutting and like you you not paying fiscal conservative and like that and fiscal i, I just want to i just want to own my guns and smoke my weed and hang out with my gay friends like that was like a big thing with libertarians that was, <laughs> yeah that was that was that was what they were yeah. like in the in the late 2000s but anyways so watts similarly like watts the guy who was known as the first dude to push black people black men to the top of his promotion he did it with ray candy in the late 70s he did it with junkyard dog he did it with hacksaw butch reed he comes to wcw and out of nowhere ron simmons who's a mid-card guy went beats vader for the world title Mm -hmm. like vader had beaten sting a month earlier and then on a like it was great they're gonna have the rematch it's a great angle actually sting gets hurt and they basically have to they have to do like a lottery they pick a dude from backstage and it's ron simmons and ron simmons comes out and beats vader at center stage and because there's a lot of black kids that would go watch the matches at center stage right so ron simmons wins and these kids flood the ring it's like it's an Awesome. It's the highlight. It's the highlight of Watts's tenure at WCW. They never really follow up on it, but in that one moment, that Ron Simmons winning the title is just awesome. It's an awesome scene. This is the same guy that gives an interview to Mark Madden and says stuff like, "Why should I have to? If why should I have to go to? Why why should a black guy have any kind of special advantages over a white guy? Why should I have to hire black people? Why should I like these? This I'm, I'm just quote. I'm like." paraphrasing he says some ridiculously abhorrent shit and it's funny because at starcade 92 he's standing in the center of the ring with another ted turner employee who was the goodwill ambassador for the atlanta braves do you know who that was mike (laughs) uh the greatest baseball player that ever fucking lived in hank aaron (laughs) correct hank aaron and then mark madden the eternal shit stirrer that he is sends hank aaron his inner his article so Hank Aaron gets a copy of it, reads it, and is like, this guy works for us? Yeah. Very shortly, <laughs> Bill yeah. Watts did not work for Ted Turner. It's cra- crazy because he said all those things, but his actions were different because, yeah, you know, he had he always pushed uh, black stars because he knew they could draw money. And Ernie Ladd was like his booker for a little while. Like Ernie Ladd was always treated with reverence. But the shit that he said was completely awful. He was just so out of touch. Didn't quite in understand where the country was. Yeah, yeah, he was saying shit that would be that would probably fly in the 60s. 1992, it's a different world, you know what I mean? And he just hadn't updated his ideology, and so, um, and it was just you know, awful. Like what happened? What happened in the spring of 92? Do you recall? Uh, that would be the Rodney King uh incident, right? That would be the yeah. riots, right? Not the Rodney, LA riots. The riot. The King and the, the Rodney King thing happened in '90. The trial spread out. Yes. And like so, for guys that might be younger, Rodney King was this. Um, we see it too often now, but at the time, he was a black motorist that was high, and he was pulled out of his vehicle. And these, I think it was six LA cops, six six LA cops on camera beat the shit out of this guy. Just like say, it was like a gang style jumping. It was bad. With, it wasn't just fists. I mean, they're using their nightsticks. They are yeah. beating the shit out of this guy. It's unbelievable. And well, actually, if you pay attention, it's perfectly believable. Yeah. But like, yeah, uh, this this was in 1990. This was unbelievably shocking news because in the in the late 80s and early 90s, people started having access to portable video equipment. Right. So this dude saw this happening and grabbed his video, his like over the shoulder video camera and recorded the whole thing it's like 10 minutes long so this these guys go to trial 
and I believe they were found not guilty. I don't even think they were yeah. acquitted. I believe they were found not guilty. And yeah. LA burns. Like there yes. were riots in the streets. Like it was, I, I remember being a little kid. I was like 12 when this happened. And this was major, major news. And this is right around the time that Bill Watts gave that interview to the torch. Might have been kind of what was on his mind when he was thinking about this stuff, actually. Yeah, yeah. So he was just as, at this point, he was not only out of touch with wrestling, he was out of touch completely with society. And you want to know who, uh, after he got fired in 1993, who ended up hiring him to come work for him? That would be Vince McMahon. Vince, Vince McMahon. So even after all the shit that he said, um, he ended up, and then he ended up going into the Hall of Fame uh, later, I guess because they they because feel like, Watts. yeah, because he's Bill Watts and like his his booking style was the antithesis of what he said in that interview, which is why there's such a dichotomy with this guy. He's so hard to figure out. Like people where does are complicated. He really stand. Yeah, people yeah, he's complicated. super complicated. Yeah, um, super complicated guy. Hilarious because Bill Watts actually ran when WWF was drawn, not drawn shit in 95. 95 is the worst year of WWF wrestling ever up there with 2019. Right. It was awful. And the company is not drawing and they bring it. So Vince is like, okay, Watts is going to run the company now. Right. And Watts's idea was to build a black baby face. Do you know who he remember who he was, who Watts's guy that they were going to build a WWF around was? It'd be Ahmed Johnson. It would be no, it would be Moadib from the Global Wrestling Federation. One Tony Norris, Bill yeah. Watts named him Buck Johnson, like a young, like you know, young strapping bucks, which was a derogatory term for black men. And oh, I he, did not know that. Yes, he was going to be Buck Johnson, and Vince overruled and said, Uh, no, yeah, we'll call him Ahmed. I don't know where they yeah. got that one from a moderate shot or something like that. Cause Vince likes to do that with names. Right. Uh, so yeah, then it was Ahmed Johnson and then they had another argument and Bill Watts quit. There can only the famous <laughs> quote, famous quote, there can only be one Titan in Titan sports. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually was, I guess who worked uh, the audience. I'm JD knows, but so just the audience, just a fun trivia fact, the guy that was working with him in creative at the time, was kind of like his understudy was Vince Russo of all people. That's true. Yeah, that's <laughs> a In a roundabout, dude, Vince Russo has say what you want about the guy. He's got a fascinating story about how he yeah. got into this company. Vince Russo got into this company because he owned a video store that was sponsoring John Arezzi's radio show. And then Vince, because he was his money guy, got involved in like the production of the show. And then they were they were going because because Arezzi goes hard against the steroid stuff and the child rape stuff and then yeah and so, and so me let's oh, let's ahead. explain who john arezzi is real quick so oh, yeah, john arezzi sure. had a a radio show in the new york new jersey like the tri-state area yeah. called pro wrestling spotlight and it was actually on fm radio there and vince russo um would buy advertising time on the pro wrestling spotlight uh show uh, for his video store Mm -hmm. Um, so he kind of, that's how he, he came up. And so they became, they eventually became, uh, partners. partners. Um, yeah, they eventually became partners. And I think that, um, they actually put together and sold and, um, and got in business with one James E. Cornette on a midnight express, like highlight video that they had kind of put together and, and got in. So they were actually like in a roundabout way, 
Jim Cornette is partially responsible for the rise of Vince Russo, which the he, president, uh, he the president of the Jim Cornette, <laughs> Cornette fan club hooked up Arezzi and Vince Russo. True yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. When, when as he, as when it I, was, it played out on the Jim Cornette podcast yeah, so when he found that out. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Jim Cornette goes, it's my fault. All of him in this is my fault. It's like <laughs> the best come to Jesus moment in podcast yeah. history. Like you could hate Cornette, but that's just an epic, epic moment yeah. in podcasting. Anyway, so they're going hard against Titan for all this stuff, Titan Gate. And then Vince Russo, Vince McMahon has a meeting with Vince Russo. Russo comes back and goes, hey, we were going about this all wrong. We need to be positive with WWF. They're going to, they want to work with us. And Arezzi's like, no, these people are fucking scumbags. So Russo kicks Arezzi off his own show. Mm -hmm. And that winds up Russo, the show eventually fails and Russo gets a job at the magazine. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Vince basically, yeah. yeah, Vince came in, talked to Vince Russo, got Arezzi kicked off the show that became a WWE um, spin zone show and then he ended up getting to work on the magazine and then worked his way up to the company yeah. um you know when um when he he actually got fired from vince russo now i know we're bouncing around so we talked bill watts to death there are some wcw 1992 under bill watts and 93 that i really liked by the way mm -hmm. um I, I i actually did a wcw saturday night rewatch of 92 and 93 and i loved it on a lot Me of that too. stuff they brought in terry gordy and dr death as uh from japan oh, yeah. even though they were all japan and they had a relationship with new japan that was that was bad so but there was a lot of good wrestling i thought and that was the, the rise steiners. of the hollywood blondes during that time too right oh yeah well for like yeah. the tag division is awesome the steiners yeah. and doc and gordy is awesome that rivalry yeah. is great both guys are out of the company everyone's out of the company and three months later but yeah you get the, i i was a, that's when i became a fan of wcw it was in the fall of 92 so like that is like my prime era and people are like oh it was so bad but it's like when you watch that stuff, it's as good as what WWF was doing at the time. Like, because most of that yeah. product was shit, too. But, I mean, like, I, I like WCW 92, 93. I got a soft spot for it. So, and I do. I agree. Some of the stuff that Watts did was all right. The Jake, like, Kip Fry hired Jake Roberts, Jake Roberts. And yeah. they brought him in to be the lead heel of WCW. And it starts off pretty good. He has this great attack on Sting. It's not quite as good as the Savage stuff, but what is? That's, like, that's... <laughs> That's career shit for both those two, but it's pretty yeah. good. And then it ends just bad. It's a great metaphor for kind of where the Watts tenure is. Like there's so much hope going in. And by the end of it, it's just like, oh, you know, yeah. and, shit. Um, oh, you know, another little trivia thing about Vince Russo. I don't know why I know so much about that idiot, but yeah. Because you host he, an impact podcast, my friend. I, I, yeah, that is, that is, that is true. So when he got fired from, uh, from impact in like, like he was brought in early and then they were going to uh, early, early in the NWA TNA days. So they, he was brought in early and they were working on trying to get Hulk Hogan there in the early days. And so to prove that they would do business with Hulk, they let go of Vince Russo. Then Vince, uh, I think this was on this, his first excursion. He was fired there a few times. Couple. Then Vince, um, Vince takes some time off. He's takes some time away from wrestling he has not watched WWF and forever WWE, but Vince McMahon brought him in to be on the creative team. And he came in and he had been separated from the WWE since you know 1999 at that point. So we're talking like three or four years. He didn't know shit about anybody on that television show. They brought him into one creative meeting to see what he still had. He had no juice left and they went ahead and shit canned him and uh, told him one day, you never mind. Yeah. He lasted one day. One day. Um, and, this this idiot 
from the no DQ site. Uh, what should we name this guy or no? I mean, this I is remember. Patreon. I didn't. Yeah, I, don't even, I don't even on remember the, his name. On the Patreon, I did not link the article. On the voices, okay. Rich says we have to link the article. You I'm do. like, do we yeah. gotta give? Do we gotta give this guy oxygen? And Rich's like, it's killing me to do this, but you referenced it. We have to. And I'm like, ah, you're right. I gotta do that. So yeah. I forget. I honestly forget the guy's name. Uh, yeah, a, so he he's but yeah. this is the Vince Russo that is still stuck into where he thinks that Braun Panties match matches in 2023 would probably do a lot better on pro wrestling television than actual women's wrestling matches, a right? Racist man himself won Vince Russo. Yeah, you don't believe me? Listen to this month's Between the Sheets Patreon show. My God, what a racist piece of shit that guy is. Yeah, yeah, he he's a horrendous guy. Dutch Mantel, um, kind of doing a, a pro-Trump thing, going after Dave all over Twitter. But uh, you know what? I D- if Dutch got hired on as creative, but to head creative, probably not. But you know, I, I don't know about touch Dutch. But, too. Yeah, he's he's super out of touch. The the other name that that kind of like threw out that he threw out there was Al Snow. In what world? In what promotion is Al Snow ever booked that was successful? He's booking. He's booking OVW right now, sir. Yeah. And it's one of the worst shows ever in the history of pro wrestling. It is bad, um, but um, it's, they got themselves on a Netflix, you know, as a doc, as a more of a documentary series. I have not watched you know, it, but it's bad. The whole show is about how they're about to go out of business every week. Yeah, great yeah, booking. It's yeah, yeah. It's just he he bought that promotion from one uh, Danny Davis, not Dangerous Danny Davis, but uh, Di- is it what was his Smoky Mountain name? Danny Davis. Nightmare. Nightmare, Nightmare Danny Davis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they bought, bought it from him, took it over, and it has done jack shit. The only reason anybody ever knew about it is because it was the the WWF. Um, for, it was like their, fir, not their exact first, because Memphis. Memphis was their, their first. It was their first yeah. one that they kind of owned outright and built. They bought yeah. they, they didn't even own it, actually. I take it back. They were just working with Danny. They, they just like, oh, Danny yeah. Davis is a really good trainer. What if we yeah. send all our guys to work with Danny Davis? And he was smart enough to have his school open at the same time. So yeah. he would get this mixture of guys like there were a lot of people who got WWE contracts who started out in Danny Davis's school. Yeah. And then right. But so once WWE pulled, yeah, once WWE pulled out of there and stopped sending blue chip athletes over there, they didn't really produce anybody anymore. Not not to say they're not good trainers, but uh, you know, they're like, can you name anybody from the last 10 years that's kind of come out of that school with, you know, I, I can't uh, not to say that Rip Rogers can't train, right? Uh, I'm sure Al Snow knows how to wrestle. But Layla never Gray, honest to God, the the, mo- the the only person that's come out of there that people know is Layla Gray for being Jade's second in AEW. Okay, I I don't actually know who that is, but I'm sure the she's other a... the remember when Jade had her baddies, not Red yeah. Velvet, the not Kira Hogan, but right, the other the, one, the other one. Okay, so one yeah. of the baddies. Yes. Okay. That's it. Okay. That's all we all got. Right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So th- that that was that was the other name. So look, you know, it it is good sometimes to kind of go back to the past and bring in some of the ideas. Go ahead, JD. Really quick, do you know who the do you know who the main like the main player in OVW is right now? It's Jesse Goddard's, isn't it? Jesse Goddard's. You know, Jesse Goddard, Mr. Spectacular. He probably follows yeah. everybody who listens to this show on Twitter. He, um, he's followed me 17 times. I never follow back. Yeah. <laughs> I did follow him. That's how I know this. Do you know who he's currently working with? Oh, it's, it's EC3 because I saw the clip EC, of Dixie Carter. It's yeah. EC3 and EC3. Turns out, like, flirting with white nationalism was not good for EC3's narrative. He's back and, to being Ethan Carter the third. Yeah. And you know what? 
good for Ethan Carter the third because I think he's looking at MJF doing his gimmick. That's the EC3 gimmick. He's doing it better than EC3 ever did it. But he he stole the gimmick, right? And he just did it better than than EC3 did. Um, I I think that uh, that poor Ethan Carter man, he left a lot of money on the table when he decided to go to the control your narrative stuff. Now he's the NWA champion, but that can't really pay you too much. That doesn't mean anything. I don't no. care where Tyrus is ranked in the PWI 500. <laughs> like that doesn't what a, Tetsuya Naito was not on the PWI 500. <laughs> You're going to tell was. me that fucking Billy Starks is better or more valuable than Tetsuya Naito. Wait, Billy Starks is on the PWI 500? Yeah, you wrestle intergender matches. You get to be on the don't PWI they... 500. Okay, so the men that wrestled her, are they going to be on the women's list? Is that how it works? I mean, I, I I mean, if we're equality, right? I mean, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I don't know. Anthony Bowens isn't on the list either. He's a current champion in AEW, and he's actually a good worker. Yeah, not yeah. On, not on the BWI 500. Will Ospreay, not in the top 10. And he's the best wrestler in the world. In the world. You know, I'm so glad that we didn't touch on that on the main show because I probably oh, would have got myself in trouble. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. That's why I'm bringing it up now. Like <laughs> just PWI is a kayfabe list. Love Warren Hayes. I love you, but uh, yeah. Oh, does Warren Hayes do the PW? Is he like a voter? He is. He says I like Warren. Warren's a good dude. Yeah. He says yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Am, I am. I am not responsible for this, but I did help contribute to it. But I cannot oh, okay. speak for all of these because I know Warren even is like this is ridiculous. Some of these things. We but. we should we should bring him on sometime and say, hey Warren, did you uh did you at least think of naito like did he cross your mind More? are you are, <laughs> did you watch the g1 by chance yeah because he was did, did you did you watch the uh forbidden door he you know he was on that yeah. and he was in a pretty big um i can't, I know, can't blame match. not blame warren no. for this like, <laughs> no, like, no i'm I mean, sure yeah. he's pulling there i know he's a good dude he knows wrestling i'm sure oh, he's yeah. pulling the hair out of his head <laughs> looking at this list yeah. because again that, Masha Slamovich on the PWI 500, Tetsuya Naito off the PWI 500. Yeah, and Ma- Masha's great, by the way. But I just think it's weird to not have as a good women's as list. Tetsuya and- Naito, man. No, 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 she's so not. Much. But I, I just think it might be the only one thing is it's weird that to have like a women's list and then put women on the the men's list, which I guess maybe it's just not a men's list. But if that's the case, then you should integrate all the women, right? Let me, let me tell you something. We have Illinois, in the state of Illinois, we have girls wrestling as an official sport now. It is an official, yeah. I say, sanctioned sport. Girls can still compete in the boys' division. can still compete in the boys' division if they want to. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I wrestled girls when I was in high school. Some of them, but we didn't have a women's division. So well, we have a women's division now and we're trying yeah. to grow our women's division. I don't understand. Why. I, I think mean, it's like, awesome. Hey, I'm a girl dad. I think fucking girls, you know, oh, I kick coach, ass and do sports. I coach yeah. girls at Fargo. Like I got no qualm with having girls wrestling. It's, it's save amateur wrestling, quite frankly. Like we yeah. are the, like women's wrestling is the fastest growing sport in America. That is a fact. However, yeah. The fact that they're if they're good, they can go wrestle, they can opt out of the girls and wrestle on the boys makes me scratch my head, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't get it, but hey, whatever makes people happy, man. Like, I mean, in PWI, it's a kayfabe list, so if and you know what, and I saw how much that meant to Masha, and obviously, I'm an impact guy. Oh, so, happy for it. I mean, that, happy. that meant a lot, to, that meant a lot to her. I just, I just found mm-hmm. it to be a little, Billy a little too. bit. Billy Starks's dad was freaking out about it, and it's awesome. Like, I'm really, yeah. it's cool because for a lot of these people. Uh, it really helps make their career, like Jonathan Gresham. Well, 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, did he was he on the list this year? I'm was, sure no, I don't, I'm sure he. I'm sure yeah. he was, but that was like the. I don't know, but I. I hope it's not true. But that was the yeah. apocryphal story that was floating around last year when he was yelling at Tony Khan and was quoting yeah. his ranking in the, the stories he was quoting his ranking in PWI 500. I hope I hope yeah. that's not true. I hope that's not. True. Yeah, I hope it's not true. Uh, but hey, guys, I think that's gonna do it. Again, if you like Overdrive, um, JD and I kind of get a little overtime. weird on this show. But we are, oh yeah, Overtime. Sorry, JD we've and I like to get a little bit of weird on this. But we've actually just been doing historical topics. So if you got a topic you want us to talk about, we're game. Yeah. Give us ideas. Tell us, tell us what to talk about. We'll do some research. Um, JD kind of has a lot of this knowledge off the top of his head already, but we'll we'll read into it, we'll look into it, and then we'll talk about it, man. So give us some ideas. Um, but hey, we got no ideas what we're talking about next week. So hey, yeah, you got some yeah, yeah, of- yeah, yeah. Um, but hey, guys, that's gonna do it for us on overtime this week. And until next time, mahalo. Hola, hola, my name is Ricardo. I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, Go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.